Good afternoon or good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, December 5th, 2018 edition of our little weather get together show number 257. And it's also our five year anniversary tonight. So yay us. <laughs> with us tonight, we have Mark Suddeth on. He's with HurricaneTrack.com. I'm sure if you've uh, been following the hurricane seasons over the past few years, you've heard of Mark. And you've probably saw some of his amazing footage that he has been able to shoot from all the different hurricanes. And so tonight we're going to talk about the 2018 hurricane season, especially Hurricane Florence, which affected much of us here in North and South Carolina, as well as the uh, major hurricane Michael that hit in Florida and then also affected us here in the Carolinas. So we'll talk about Florence and Michael and the other storms that uh, Mark was able to cover this past tropical season year. So if you are watching tonight and you have any questions for Mark, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can do that one of many different ways. We are live streaming on Facebook Live, Periscope, and YouTube. So all you got to do is send a question. We'll be monitoring those and we will apply those uh, when they are warranted in the show. And if you're listening on the podcast version, you will uh, be able to get Mark's information towards the end of the show. So if you have any questions for him, then you're able to tweet them or Facebook them or email them or however you want to do it. We'll let Mark share his information towards the uh, end of the show. So as you guys know, there is a big winter storm in the making that looks like it's going to affect a large portion of North Carolina and even some of South Carolina. So we're going to talk about that towards the end of the show. But before we do that, I want to toss it over to James Briarton, who has a brief update on the latest information um, out of this winter storm, James. Uh, Scotty, good evening to you. Happy anniversary to the Carolina Weather Group. And that's right, looking at our GFS model here, it's the same story we've been telling you for the last few nights if you've been with us, but we're beginning to get a little bit more of that confidence on what exactly this winter storm could look like. So a brief recap, we've got plenty of cold air coming in from Canada. It's going to march its way to the south and east. That's what's going to turn all of this precipitation that is coming off this low off the Pacific coast, currently offshore of Los Angeles. This is going to march along the southern United States into the southeast, when these two get together and start to interact this weekend, that is when we're going to be talking about this potential for winter weather. But the setup here is going to be complicated, and we're going to talk more about this in depth coming up at 9 o'clock. But what I want to show you here on this snapshot is we look ahead to about the Friday-Saturday time frame. If we put the low pressure, if we project it over Florida, that gives the cold air an opportunity to kind of park up to our north. But what's going to be playing out here is kind of an atmospheric tug of war. Because if this low, which is the center of the precipitation, the center of the storm goes a little bit further to the south that's going to allow more of this cold air to go south in turn and that's going to turn more of the rain to snow the same would be true if the low pressure was a little bit further north so we're going to be talking about that in depth because we've got a lot of pretty pictures just like this one but this is just one possible scenario that we're going to have to be putting a lot of our minds together here to find out exactly just how far south this cold air is going to come because you can see it right here the rain snow line right along the Interstate 85 corridor is going to be the big question, just like it always is here in the Carolinas. So who's going to see rain? Who's going to see snow? And who's going to see that magical in-between that we like to call winter mix? That's a little bit of sleet and freezing rain. And it is uh, the awareness week here in North Carolina and South Carolina. So we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't telling you exactly what that meant. So real briefly, you're all familiar with snow, but let's talk about the difference between sleet 
and freezing rain. This is rain that freezes on its way down, so you begin to see ice pellets falling from the sky. Freezing rain is liquid all the way down, but that cold surface, as soon as it hits the ground, is freezing to ice. So that means we're going to be talking about the potential for an ice situation in some neck of the woods, which is why it's important to remember if you are traveling this weekend and it looks like it's raining, you need to keep in mind that there could be an ice threat out there as well, too. We'll have a lot more coming up on this winter storm. We're getting in new data right now that we're uh, putting our thoughts together on, and we'll have that for you coming up after tonight's interview. That's coming up at about 9 o'clock. Scotty? Thank you for that, James. And uh, just kind of reiterate that we had some snow up in the North Carolina mountains earlier today. Anywhere between two to four inches fell up there and a lot of good pictures that are on our social media uh, platforms. So if you want to surf over to those throughout the evening and see those, that would be great as well. So let's bring in our guest, Mr. Mark Suddeth tonight. He is with HurricaneTrack.com and Mark is a local North Carolina boy. He is uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mark, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be here. Yeah, no problem. We're, we're happy to hear about, uh, we're, we're excited to hear about your your travels uh, throughout the uh, hurricane season, capturing all these storms. But you actually started off in warm, beautiful Miami today. Isn't that correct? Yes. I uh, <laughs> flew down Monday and uh, met yesterday with uh, folks at the National Hurricane Center and did a uh, presentation uh, of the video. Video is a data medium. Um, you know, we call that photogrammetry, trying to extract data from video and it yields a lot of uh, interesting clues. So we took a hard look at Michael, of course, Florence as well. And uh, then I went over to the Hurricane Research Division out on Virginia Key and met with Stan Goldenberg and some of the colleagues over there, Dr. Frank Marks, et cetera. And being able to present as a geographer, because I'm not a meteorologist, my degree is in geography. And so I'm interested in more of the impacts to society and how all of this goes along that meteorologists forecast. Then the geography part of me, the geographer in me takes over. And um, it's all related, though, when it comes down to it and everything gets mixed up. So it was great to be able to share this data and get some insight from them. Yeah, Mark, you were telling us before the hand, you know, it's it's really cool that you're able to work with the folks down at the National Hurricane Center and you guys are able to collaborate on some things and uh, it helps forecasting for, for years to come. So we're happy to hear about that. Before we kind of get into the 2018 hurricane season, uh, how did you get interested in doing hurricanes? I know you said you had a, a background in geography, but um, how did you catch this weather bug that you wanted to go chase these hurricanes and, and get all this good data that's that's being able to be uh, provided to the weather service and, and the hurricane center and better yet, help us forecast right. these, uh, these hurricanes? Um, I was born in Durham, so I'm a North Carolina native and moved to the coast down to New Bern when I was a child, a young child, grew up hearing stories about historic hurricanes and just got hooked. I don't know how that happens, where that bug comes from, but I got the hurricane bug as a young child and, you know, went over to the local TV station, the late skip waters talked to a lot with me uh, about hurricanes and the history. I learned a lot from Jay Barnes, uh, the author of North Carolina's hurricane history. And I just did a lot on my own. And I was actually accepted into NC state to go into their meteorology program, but I stayed in Wilmington, to follow a degree in geography, um, you know, as they always say, because I followed a girl. So, 
And um, it turns out that the degree in geography is exactly what I needed because I wanted to be out in the field um, and not necessarily in an office all the time. And, you know, that wasn't for me. And so I followed my own path and started my business literally probably, I think, what I, I got my degree on a Saturday at, at graduation. And then Monday morning, I went to work at a, an industrial development company here, consulting with them about hurricanes. Day one of my career began. And so, Mark, I know you live in Wilmington, so, you know, you have your fair share of brushes with tropical systems. Uh, we were talking earlier, I know you were out chasing Florence, but you at one time was even worried about maybe the impacts that you and your family may see from, from Florence uh, hitting the uh, North Carolina coast. Oh, yeah. I mean, that I live in Wilmington and my family lives here, my wife and several children, uh, some of them college age, some of them not even in preschool yet, everything in between. You know, the impacts of hurricanes are uh, problematic, obviously. And so, you know, getting ready for it from the family perspective and then from the scientific perspective and a business perspective, because I did turn this into a business uh, starting in 1995 and it grew ever since. Um, it is it is a big stress. Let's just put it that way. But, you know, experience plays uh, plays a big role. It wasn't my first rodeo, as they say, but every one of them that comes towards Wilmington, uh, since I am on the coast, I do start to get very worried. Well, let's talk about that a little bit before we kind of dive into to Florence and Michael. Uh, you said, you know, your company started. Um, talk to us about the history of HurricaneTrack.com. And, uh, you know, you, you've been able to cover some of the, the bigger hurricanes that we've had in the recent years. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the company, what you what you do there, uh, maybe some memorable storms. And then we'll kind of get into what you found out um, from this year's uh, season. Very good. Um so HurricaneTrack.com began in 1999, and it was just uh, what we know now as blogging and tweeting. I was doing back then. I'm not saying that I started something, but it was just like I would, you know, produce a, an update. I called it the Hurricane Outlook and Discussion, or something like that. And it was what we now know as a blog. And I would tell people what I'm thinking based on all this information that I'm looking at, and I would post it on HurricaneTrack.com. And sometimes what we now know as Twitter, I would just post a little paragraph because things would be rapidly changing and I would just post a quick update. Hey, we just saw this happening or whatever. So you have a paragraph and you know, now we know that as blogging and Twitter and whatever. Um, and of course other people were doing this as well. It wasn't like I was the only one, but that's how it started. And then I wanted to be able to go out in the field and do the same thing in the field. And so by 2001, we were able to use the beginnings of the 3G network from Sprint, uh, and there were other companies, of course, coming along as well. But Sprint became a partner of ours, and we were able to do this on the road. So we could literally, you know, update the what we now know as a blog on the road, um, take a quick video clip or a picture. And we were doing that all the way back in 2001, and then it just evolved over time, and, and it, the mobile internet got faster and we were able to do more. We started putting instrumentation out there, either on the vehicles or then eventually out in the field separately from the vehicles. And it just evolved over time uh, to where we have now the ability to set up unmanned cameras and weather stations practically anywhere and put people immersed in it like they've never seen it before and show you the visual data 
as well as the meteorological data as well. And it has really come a long way since 1999. And so you were talking about um, seeing some of these major hurricanes, you know, comes to mind is, um, is um, previous Hurricane Harvey and mm. um, Irma of last year. We had Hurricane Matthew a couple of years ago. Uh, so any of those storms kind of stick out in memory uh, to you? Mm. Um, before I know, obviously Hurricane Florence does because of the relation of you live in here uh, in North Carolina, and also Michael, which will go down as one of the, the strongest hurricanes ever. Uh, but does Harvey or Irma or or um, Matthew or anything like that any any neat stories or videos or anything that you was able to capture that's really just stuck in your mind? Well, Matthew, we just go back to this beginning of this latest burst of landfalls. You remember we had. Um, quite a slowdown in activity uh, for several years. There was very little. We had, you know, Sandy in 2012, and that was a big event singularly. But 13 was just one of the quietest seasons ever. 2014 was fairly quiet overall, 15, et cetera. We had close calls, and it just depends on where you were. They say all disasters are local. So if you get hit by one pine tree in your area from a passing storm, yes, that's a big deal. But the um, rash of hurricanes had sort of taken a hiatus until really sort of Matthew sort of kind of set it off again. Um, and I guess we just didn't know it at the time. That was going to be the beginning. So yes, Matthew in October was a big challenge. Uh, started down in Florida and set up equipment all along the path, uh, both meteorological uh, and the cameras to augment the weather data. And then, you know, once we got to uh, the next year, you know, it just kept going. Um, and you just never know. You know, we had Harvey and uh, then Irma and just the, the eclipse in there in between the total eclipse. It's just kind of, you know, it was almost like that signaled the start of everything. I know it has nothing to do with it, but talk about a bad omen. That total eclipse really, it's been bad ever since, right? Hurricane wise, but they're not related. Don't even go there. But, um, you know, just... Uh, Every one of them's different because of where they happen. Harvey in Texas is vastly different, obviously, than Irma in South Florida, where you have the population center of Miami, Fort Lauderdale, uh, even the Keys, and then, of course, around the southwest side, Collier County, Lee County, and, you know, of course, the thought that it could have devastated Tampa. They're all unique. Every one of them's different. And then, you know, some of them come up the remnants into the Carolinas, um, in one form or another, you have to keep that in mind. I live here along the coast. You never know what we're going to get. Um, and then, you know, we had this year and it looked like a lot of people thought down year, not going to have much activity, et cetera. And it just shows, you know, they say it only takes one, you know, well, I think we could upgrade that and call, well, it only took two because we had a pretty busy season eh, overall, but the two that stood out, of course, Florence, and, um, you know, what we just dealt with down there on the Gulf Coast, and it's just devastating. Well, let's, let's talk about that. And um, oh or, or Chris or, or James, if you guys have anything to add, please, please do so. But let's talk about Florence. That obviously happened before Michael, and it had a major impact on eastern North Carolina and actually a good part of North Carolina with inland flooding as well. And, and so, Mark, I guess for you, you didn't really have to travel anywhere to right. – uh, to to chase the hurricane, but it, just the start of Florence, you know, the weird track that 
you know, it almost goes up to Bermuda and then tracks all the way westward towards, uh, towards the Carolinas. And then, you know, the projected path was to have it maybe even skirt down the North Carolina, South mm -hmm. Carolina coast. So, um, just to begin with, Florence was difficult to track. So how did that play into you wanting to set up your camera network system to get all this data? Yeah, that's a very good question. It's uh, when they are very fickle like that, it's difficult to plan on so many levels. And that includes what we do. Uh, and I have a team that helps and we have to coordinate that. That's a big part of it. You know, when, when do we start doing things? And, you know, you remember there were times where it looked like Florence could go up and be a problem for the mid-Atlantic. And it was these ridiculously, you know, sub 900 millibar low pressure readings in the GFS right off of Virginia Beach and so forth and so on. And it was just insanity. And, you know, people want to be able to lock in on something and make decisions. And it's hard. And the same goes for myself and my team. When do we deploy? Where do we deploy? What assets do we deploy? How safe do we need to be in terms of shelter and, you know, the surge, the wind, trees, whatever, all of that gets factored in. And Florence was very challenging. And so uh, you remember at the beginning, it looked like, you know, people were writing it off and it was going to turn out into the open Atlantic uh, through the central Atlantic trough or whatever. And there she goes. And, oh, wait a minute, not so fast. And we know the end result. And so there's a lot of planning that goes in, a lot of sleepless nights. But luckily, they don't move that fast coming across the Atlantic. You know, some, when they're close to home can think about Charlie back in 2004, but these long track hurricanes still give us time to react enough that I was able to start on the outer banks in Rodanthe and end down here in Wilmington where I live uh, and have units, you know, camera systems and anemometer and pressure sensors as many as I could put out all along the way with the help of some great people. So Florence, we tackled very well considering what we had to work with. And then we dealt with the flooding afterwards and kept going for almost a week, uh, putting extra cameras out in the flood areas ahead of time because the flood moves. It just doesn't come in, fill up with water and then it sits there for a week. Everything's very, pardon the pun, but fluid and it's moving the flood wall or the flood wave as they call it moves. And so we have to adjust with that. So Florence was a long duration event for me, probably 10 days. And who knew what was coming next with Michael, right? That's right, uh, Mark. And I'm sorry to cut you off. You had sent in some video that you wanted to share with our viewers yep. tonight. I believe you shot this in Surf City during Florence. Can you walk us through what it is that we're looking at here? So one of the things that we do is stream live video from now we use Nest Cams. Uh, but that can get knocked off the air because we use the Verizon LTE network to stream it. And sometimes that'll go down. Uh, and so we were, a, we were taught a hard lesson about that during Irma. And I vowed I was going to have a backup system to at least record everything. So starting this year, we began deploying GoPro cameras inside of these storm cases. It's like the Pelican case. Storm case is the brand name. And that would record on a 256 gigabyte chip long duration video with a big old battery pack to power it. We had to do some tinkering to get it to work and run that long. Most people that know GoPros know that they don't usually run that long. So this GoPro ran for about 23 hours, set it up Thursday afternoon early. And this is Surf City, North Carolina. This is the first time anybody has seen this video actually. 
Uh, we were not able to retrieve it and get it out to the world in time, and then Michael happened. So here it is, debuting live. Um, that is Storm Surge coming over the dune there in Surf City. The GoPro did fantastic. It recorded just as it should have, um, you know, high definition in 720p. Now we can do it at 1080, it's even better. Um, and that surge takes out the dunes, the waves do, one at a time, one wave at a time until finally the dunes are gone. Just an amazing perspective stuck there on that utility pole. Uh, it, you know, there's hardly any vibration or anything and to document without having to be there, there's no way any storm chaser can film something like this. And it's not an indictment against us. You know, we're all included. Who's gonna do that? You can't, it's not possible. This is how you do it. And you can do it in several places at once if you have enough equipment and enough time to set it out. So a remarkable achievement, a testament to the technology that exists already. And now we get to see something uh, and the process, that's what's so important, the science behind it. Behind, after the ooh and ah of what you're seeing, there is science here that can help the National Hurricane Center Storm Surge Unit, public awareness, you name it, this is a great tool and it worked. I know Chris is wanting to jump in, but I just wanted to say, it's really hard to capture what Storm Surge is, but this video is just the perfect example of why it's so dangerous if you live right there on the coast of, you know, not the wind is a bad thing, but you're you're running from the water, and just a perfect example of, of what actually happens as as a hurricane's moving ashore. The live cam was doing really well, uh, which was on a walkway just back into the left of the GoPro, uh, just on the other side of the dune, and that's all going to be in my documentary once I finish it in a couple months from now. But that camera fell in the ocean because the walkway. Uh, disintegrated with all of that agitation, as you can imagine. And we saw it fall in live, and it actually cut off right before it hit the water because there's just a little delay in the buffering and all that. And you know what? I didn't even, like, I wasn't upset about it. I mean, it was, it was a bummer to lose the camera, and it went off air for the Weather Channel, who licenses video from us. But I thought, I've got that GoPro. And that's exactly, I almost forced myself to put that GoPro there when I knew I was gonna put the live cam on the walkway, because I figured that we might lose the live cam, but it forced me to try something new with the GoPro and it worked. Now we have this archive that is absolutely incredible on so many levels. Yeah, that's pretty incredible video, Mark. Just kind of curious, what's the time frame on this? From from the time, you, I guess you probably get the first overwhelming of the dunes to, to you got total inundation of that, that you know Oceanside Road. Yeah, it's total about three to four hours. Um, the GoPro ran and recorded under the chip for about 23 hours. Um, they normally go for about 26, but I think the battery pack we put in had been used a little bit or something, but it didn't matter. We captured peak surge. And uh, so, you know, the early video, when first light comes in, there's not even any overwash, another overtopping of the no spray. And so obviously high tide comes in, that's a factor on top of the surge generated by the wind mostly, and then those big waves and you see the results. But the worst part was about a three hour window in mid afternoon, that's the other part, it was daylight. How many times do we get to see hurricanes in daylight? It's hard, especially as we get towards the fall. And this one is, was an, a, an exceptional event. Very good for the science and education. Yeah, that's, that's great video. Just to, to, to hit on Florence a little bit more, 
how much rain, how long did it rain up there in Wilmington? Because I, you know, I was chasing the storm also down in Cherry Grove, and I, I think it was the Thursday, uh, the 13th of September. Mm. I, I sat in a parking garage all afternoon in Cherry Grove and watched this. You know, the, I guess one of the main outside bands, probably 30 miles up the coast from me, just right. not move. <laughs> it just stayed on top of you guys. Yep, it did. It came in. It really didn't start raining until um, late Thursday afternoon. And it was kind of intermittent. And then sort of the main part of the uh, circulation started coming in. And it just rained for days. And it reminded me so much of Harvey, where you'd get these big bands that would come in with just insane rain amounts and embedded tornadoes. That was, quote, a lot of fun. And, I mean, they were right here knocking on my door. We'd see the warnings. And uh, there's a couple of pieces of video that I shot where I'm pretty sure I could see a little bit of what would resemble a little bit of a mesocyclone coming through. I was like, yeah, there it goes. And we're literally talking right up the road from me. And that's too close to home, man. And it's like, and it just kept going and going, as we all know. And anything that beats Hurricane Floyd, wow, that's a historic event. Yeah, that's that's another question I want to ask you. You know, uh, with you being a Wilmington native, I can remember Floyd from when I was, uh, you know, back in high school. Mm -hmm. at, you know, I'm out of all the people that evacuated the South Carolina coast. Right. You know, I, I live two hours inland, and I can remember the the night of the evacuations. The, the road I grew up on was just a dead stop. You know, people trying to evacuate the coast. How, what have you seen change along Wilmington since the, you know, Floyd and stuff like that? Do you think people are taking these warnings more seriously or, you know, does storm fatigue begin to become an issue after, you know, storm after storm after storm? It's a little of everything. Our population has certainly gone up a lot since Floyd. Uh, so that's a problem. Um, I mean, big time. Southeast North Carolina is growing incredibly fast. And so... Florence, though, had that uh, forecast of it making landfall as a three or a four fairly early on. The five-day forecast, of course, goes out five days. And I think that motivated a lot of people to kind of leave early. That might have helped. Um, but once you move all those people inland, as you alluded to, well, they got to try to get back. And if everything's flooded along the coastal plain and whatnot, it's a problem. And uh, we saw that. You know, even Matthew you know, did a pretty good number on areas near Lumberton and the I-95 corridor. Uh, and that we're not talking about almost a generation ago. Matthew was 2016 for goodness sakes. Right. So, With the, you know, the Matthew thing at the, the lumber river uh, that goes down to South Carolina through the town of Nichols. Now, I've got, yeah. I've got some friends that have family in Nichols and they have family that just got back into their houses in February of this year following Matthew. And yeah. now they're in the same situation all over again after Florence. Yeah, these big rainmakers are a problem, and I don't know if it's a symptom of a warmer climate. Um, that's a debate that could get started and go off on a whole tangent, but we know that warm air holds more moisture, so maybe there is something to be said for that. It's hard to believe that these massive rain events are just coincidence when a warmer atmosphere does hold more moisture, and it seems to be warming. That's what we're told. I mean, feels warmer. We don't have as much snow as we used to. It's, you know, you can go on and try to figure it out yourselves, but then you just do the simple observation. Yeah, we are having a lot of wet tropical cyclones more so than usual. Harvey, Matthew, this year with Florence, and they're not spread out a generation apart. Something might be to that. Of course. And, uh, you know, I think I'll kick it back over to Scotty and talk about uh, some of Michael, because I, I know we all want to hear about Michael. 
Definitely so. Um, Mark, I believe you said one other thing before we leave Florence. I, I believe you said that you had a camera up in the Newburn area, and we know that area was particularly hit hard with the flooding. So uh, was you able to retrieve any of that video, and, and did it really show the justification of all the flooding that, that, that took place up there? Yes. The, um, the live cams we use, we use Nest cameras. They're security cameras. People set them up and you get alerts and all these fancy smart features and they just, they work really well. They're USB powered. And so I can power them with our USB power packs, et cetera. And you put a Verizon hotspot in the case with it and you mount it wherever you want. Um, and the one in New Bern was remarkable. I set that up, I think Tuesday evening and it lasted until Friday morning, uh, a little while after sunup. And even though the network was suffering and the power outages were massive, it kept on going. And it was absolutely remarkable to see the Noose River rising like it did and overtake the Union Point Park, come up the gazebo where many people have been married there. Um, it's a very important part of New Bern's history. Uh, and even my history, I grew up in New Bern. And I mean, to see it. And then that night, Thursday night, was remarkable. The power had gone out and you really couldn't see much anymore. But the audio part of that Nest Cam, you could hear the waves going over the box. And this thing was mounted 11 feet above the Noose River. And we were getting water coming over the top of that box. Obviously waves, but water nonetheless. And it just kept going. And the next day at sunup, it was just remarkable. And the Weather Channel showed it a lot live, full screen. And I mean, we were immersed right in the middle of it. And it was a remarkable moment. Um, tragic, but a really amazing way to document it and show people as it's happening. A real benchmark moment for the project. And talking about benchmarks and documentation, obviously Hurricane Michael um, will most likely go down as one of the most damaging hurricanes to ever hit the country. And you, um, Mark, was able to deploy a lot of your gear down there. So talk to us a little bit about um, preparing, how you prepared to cover Michael, then um, actually, uh, you know, getting the, the, the data and stuff from the storm, and then recovery as you was able to go back in and retrieve your cameras. And, and I believe, you know, just some of the pictures that I've seen, people just don't understand how much damage was actually done in, in that part of Florida. Oh, I mean, I'll try to do this as succinctly as possible. Um, I was, Michael for me starts in Arizona, and I know everybody's going to say, what? I was in Arizona for Pacific Hurricane Rosa. The remnants were moving in, and I had airlined a lot of my equipment out there working with the Weather Channel, and I had done uh, a lot of hard work trying to get cameras in flood areas, etc., it was a successful mission, we'll just say that. Uh, but it's very difficult to deal with the TSA rules to airline these big lithium batteries. I'm gonna grab one, hold on, I'll show you. This is what they look like. This is how we power everything. It's a big old lithium battery pack and they weigh about seven and a half pounds each. And they don't like you taking lithium battery packs on planes and certainly not underneath and so um, I had to airline everything out. It was a challenge. And when Rosa was over, Michael was just a blip in the model noise, right? And 
part of the Central American gyre, and it could be another Nate where it just kind of swings around rapidly, a uh, weak hurricane in October, blah, blah, blah. And so I, th I thought, well, I'm going to just ship everything back via FedEx ground. And I got on the plane after I was done with Rosa and I came back to Wilmington and my equipment's going to come a few days later. Well, we had Columbus day and that was like, and that was a problem. So they said, Oh yeah, your stuff will be back on Wednesday, October 10th. And I'm like, well, that's when there could be a hurricane in Florida. Um, so it was a huge challenge. I had to start buying equipment, ordering stuff from Amazon, getting it shipped to Amazon lockers. I mean, I'm going to do a book someday. And it's going to be in the book. Like what we went through to get equipment to be prepared for Michael was truly a, an amazing team effort. So that being said, patting ourselves on the back here, we did have a great team effort. We were ready. So we started in Cedar Key and that little notch in Florida, right? We put a camera system there, uh, just a live camera system. Uh, then we went up to St. Mark's and put a camera system there live only. Then we went to, and this is all on Tuesday, the 9th. Uh, then we went to East Point in Florida and we put a camera system and a GoPro system because in talking to the National Hurricane Center folks, it looked as if Indian Pass, maybe uh, East Point and the areas just east of Apalachicola could get swept clean. You know how guidance changes. That's what it looked like Tuesday into Tuesday evening. So we continued on to the Indian Pass area uh, Gulf Pines is the actual development, set up a live camera at a, uh, a gentleman's house that we had gotten permission from via Twitter and emails from there, et cetera. You know, there's this whole collaboration going on. And then we kept moving West and we stopped in Mexico beach where ironically I was for, um, Alberto in May, a junk storm that actually got upgraded to tropical storm Alberto. They've already done the tropical cyclone report. And um, I actually was in Mexico Beach and I put a camera there. How about that for irony for Alberto? So I kind of knew the area. Okay. So I set a live cam up in Mexico Beach, no GoPro yet, and went on to Panama City. We set up the weather station over on the Hathaway Bridge between Panama City and Panama City Beach. That's the setup. Get back to the hotel in Panama City, try to get some sleep, get up the next morning. Michael's intensifying all along. Um, we also wanted to launch our weather balloon into the eye of Michael, uh, a very, very big project that's extremely hazardous and difficult. And it looked like it's going to go right over us. I thought, all right, we've got to survive all this, but I think we're going to be able to launch from the parking lot of the Hampton Inn. Wow, what are the odds of that? Because Florence was going to be my launch from my driveway, but then it dove southwest and it stuck it to me. So I felt like Michael owes me. Anyway, I get a text from somebody at the Hurricane Center do you have a GoPro in Mexico Beach? Not yet. You should because you're going to capture a violent surge that's going to come in rapidly. And I didn't even waste any time. My colleague and I went to Mexico Beach uh, and set up the GoPro. Um, and there's a little intermediate detour we had to make to get some lithium batteries, the little actual small ones, for the weather balloon computers because I had forgotten them. But none of that matters in the story, really. Uh, we made it to Mexico Beach, set up the camera, and, you know, there was, like, nobody there that we could see. Just a few people, maybe, mostly media. Um, probably saw Doug Kiesling's car, maybe Tony Bright's car. He's from here in Wilmington. Didn't know it, but, you know, now going back, we probably saw them. And we set it up, 
The guy that helped me, his name is Brent. He ratchet strapped that thing, the GoPro case. It's right here. That's what it looks like. To uh, a utility pole with a ratchet strap. And not zip ties. We needed a ratchet strap. And that guy can ratchet strap like a boss. And uh, he came up from the Virgin Islands to help me, believe it or not. And we left and went back to Panama City. And I was waiting for it to come over us, the eye. It didn't, as we know. And history was made. And we saw what happened. We had a live cam there. And remarkably, that Nest Cam stayed up into the eye wall. Um, I got texts from the Weather Channel management that were just like, thank you so, so much, you know, because we were streaming video of stuff that no one has ever seen before on live television. And it was a very, very big moment for all involved. But I knew the network's going to go down. I mean, come on, man. It's a 4.9 out of 5 operationally. 155 mile per hour operationally. Yeah, Verizon, Sprint, everybody, they're going to get knocked off air. And they did. And the camera went offline, and I thought, oh, boy, I hope that GoPro makes it. I hope it makes it. Anyway, it's over. Michael moves on. I'm anxious to get out. Uh, Brent, the guy from the Virgin Islands, goes with me. And we start venturing out, and some miraculous, you know, stroke of luck, we made it through the massive debris in Panama City, out to Callaway, across the, the DuPont Bridge, I think it's called, um, you know, into Tyndall, which looked like it was nuked. And that, the people used that way too much. This looked like, like outside of burnt whatever, as nuclear blast would do, or an F5 tornado or whatever, maybe not that violent, but you get the idea. It was mind-blowing how bad it was at Tyndall Air Force Base. Sun's going down. We go through power lines, moving them out of the way, you name it. Uh, just a heroic effort. And I say that truly, a heroic effort by us to get that camera because we knew it's like a flight data recorder to one of the biggest disasters in U.S. history, Hurricane Michael. We've got to get it, not at all costs. Safety is a concern. But I was real proud of the effort that Brent and I made to move things out of the way. Take your time. Keep moving forward. Had enough water. Had enough protein. Whatever. We were prepared. And we made it. We get to Mexico Beach. And it's dark. And this wall of debris is in front of us. And there's people there. A handful crying. Some of them. Uh, some of them are in shock. I mean, that's a whole story. Tony Bright from here in Wilmington pops up. Hey, Mark. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's Tony. He does this kind of same thing, documenting hurricanes, but he's real quiet about it. Um, most people don't know who he is. I think they will after this. But he joins us. Okay, that's why I bring this up. So the three of us go through this devastated Mexico beach. We've got flashlights, water, protein bars, you name it. We help a couple people that need it. You know, we keep moving, run into some people. They tell us, oh, where are you trying to get to? We said, basically, Toucans. It's a restaurant. Toucans restaurant. Been there for 50 years. And they're like, oh, that's gone. And I'm like, we know it's gone, but can we get there? You know, well, maybe. And you just keep going. And it's getting later and later. And you go through debris and fishing line everywhere. And it's just, it's crazy. But it's got a purpose. And we get there to where, and I got the Google Maps going on my phone. I downloaded everything ahead of time. So we got no service. And I'm like, we're here. This is it. It's like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. I'm like, we're here. And it was a moment when I could look and see with our flashlights, the yellow boxes, the live cam, which was off air, 
and then the GoPro box. And as we got closer, I saw the red light blinking from the GoPro. And you hear me, I'm like, woo, yeah, it worked. We plucked it off, came back. That's a whole other saga. That's unbelievable how we got back. And when we got up to um, Montgomery, Alabama, I waited until the next day to view it. I didn't want anything to happen. You open it up and something, I just, no, wait till we get out of the disaster area. And when I watched it and then cut it up to feed a few minutes to the Weather Channel, I knew that this was going to change how people view these intense hurricanes forever. And that video is absolutely a testament to the technology that GoPro even exists to we, so we could do it. You know, certainly my perseverance to keep trying and trying and trial and error and all the things we go through to do it, the teamwork, and then what we can show people in the future, it will absolutely save lives down the road. I know it will. And maybe even help the science. Mark, um, I don't know if you can fully answer this question. If you can, that is perfectly fine. But how, how, how did this partnership with the Weather Channel come about where, you know, they're using your information on air? I mean, did, did y'all just have a conversation one day or is it through your works that they found out about you? I'm, I'm fascinated by that because, you know, the Weather Channel, you know, they do weather, but they really shine when all heck's breaking loose. When oh, there's yeah. a hurricane going on, I mean, From that's what you one. tune into. That and was Don Coleman and all of the founders' dream. Ray-Ban. I'm sorry and, to interrupt you, but yes. No, I, you're, you're good. And, and so that's the whole world tunes to the Weather Channel. And here, the, everybody in the world is watching your videos. So how, how did this come about? I'm fascinated to learn how, how this partnership may have come about. I appreciate you asking that. And um, I blame Dr. Steve Lyons. Um, way back in 2000, he was in Wilmington for a, a conference, a Project Impact conference. It was a FEMA thing. And we got to know each other and he was fascinated by some of my ideas at the time. We didn't have a way to make them happen because we didn't have wireless internet. We didn't have GoPro yet, blah, 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 blah. But I was thinking about if only I had a way to leave a camera at a beach and Dr. Lyons really liked that. And we tinkered with it. He brought me to Atlanta when he worked there. So this goes all the way back to the year 2000 and there was other attempts in 05, believe it or not, the season to end all seasons. Um, we tried to get an agreement together, but, um, to their, you know, credit as a business, when you want to form a partnership and it's going to cost a lot of money to have something exclusive that was this revolutionary and you say it's completely dependent on hurricanes and they invest it and there's no hurricanes who answers for that. And I understood that. So they passed. And in 2009, when NBC bought them and all that stuff, Jim Cantori tried to help and really made a push. And I was that close to getting a contract. And somebody said, well, we give him this money and we do all this and there's no hurricanes, whatever. And there was no answer. Well, the answer is the money's gone, just like when you pay insurance. And they didn't like it. But again, as a business, I have to respect that, that they're not just going to whatever. So finally, in 2014, David Clark is the president there. And they had a different way of looking at things and they pushed that aside. If there's no hurricanes, we gave it a shot. And so I started working with them officially in 2014 and the people that I work with, uh, I can't believe it's like, Oh man, I wish I had done it for all those years because they are so awesome to work with the professionalism from the producers to the management that I work with uh, all the way to the top. 
is absolutely incredible. And their uh, insistence on safety and the caring for me as a person, not just as an asset, so resonates with me as a, I've got kids and a wife, et cetera. It's incredible. And we have just been able to form this wonderful relationship that I'm going to augment your coverage, not replace it, but augment it with these camera systems. And in some cases, weather data, and even some aerial video from time to time to augment what Brett Adair, or is it Adair? I never figured that out. I got to ask him in person one day, Doug Keithling, et cetera, all these stringers that also have relationships. We should all work together. And I'm just a part of that puzzle and I'm proud to be, uh, I will, I will say it's fantastic. And yes, you're right. Knowing that my stuff's on the weather channel, full screen for potentially millions of people to see. And I had a dream when I was a kid that I wanted to work with John Hope and Jim Cantori. I never got to work with John Hope, but that I get to work with Cantori and several others is a dream come true. And I had that as a kid. Cantori is awesome. We, we've had him on the show before, and he's just such a brilliant guy. Well, um, Thanks for I, asking. Yeah, no problem. And um, I, after the show, I'd love to have you come back on and just kind of talk about the, the equipment and stuff that you use for this because, you know, our hours got by so quickly. Uh, one thing before we kind of end this part of the show, um, we do have winter weather coming in. And before, right. um, before the show started, you and I were just kind of talking back and forth. So not only do you shoot for hurricanes, but you also sometimes go out and cover winter storms. So I want, I'll try to do this as quick as I can. So the reason, a big reason why I work with the weather channel is 2014, a lot of the people that back me what I do on hurricane track and that enterprise were encouraging me, you know, there's not always going to be hurricanes. You might want to do some winter storm stuff. And so I did in 2014, there was this intense March nor'easter that was going to potentially slam Cape Cod and vicinity. And uh, Jim really encouraged me to come up. And uh, so I drove up on my own dime to uh, Cape Cod all night and got there. I flew some uh, quadcopter footage for him set up what cameras I was using back then, much more bulky and less whatever like we have now. Um, it was a very big success. And I swear I was hooked. That nor'easter, it was like a hurricane, but it was 25 degrees and snowing instead of raining. You had surge, you had big waves, you had power out of just trees down. It's just about you know 40 degrees colder than you know in a hurricane or whatever, maybe colder than that, I guess, right? And I was hooked. And so that's, and long story short, when that was over, some of the management at the Weather Channel were like, Jim, who is that guy? And the rest is history. <laughs> so yes, the winter storm thing, I have been hooked ever since. And I was up last year in Situate uh, with Jim and uh, the whole crew and just, again, augmenting their live coverage. And you're not going to replace Jim Cantori. That guy is, you know, up there with any legendary in his sport of weather, uh, he is the best. Well, if you find out where Cantori is coming for this upcoming winter storm in the Carolinas, you let us know. We want you there to get some video. Maybe if we get some thunder snow, yeah, really? we, love his re we love his reaction. So Wasn't um, that amazing? it's been a pleasure having you on. And uh, like I said, we'd love to have you back on and kind of talk to us about the equipment you use. I know you have a specialized yeah. vehicle that, that you travel in. And uh, so, Hopefully we can do that. But before that, how can our followers find out more information about you? How can they follow you on social media? Maybe plug your website, 
all yeah, that thanks. good stuff, how, uh, how our followers can follow you. Well, luckily I was able to sort of brand everything with the hurricane track uh, as things started coming out, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. So it's hurricane T R A C K, you know, at hurricane track on Twitter, YouTube slash hurricane track, um, facebook.com slash hurricane track. You get the idea. And, uh, or Mark Suddath, S U D D U T H. There's a realtor in Kansas named Mark Suddath. That's not me. Um, I can imagine the things he gets requests for cause people think he's me, but anyway, it's all hurricane track branded. Um, and uh, the social media thing is fantastic. Being able to interact with people, uh, YouTube comments, etc. cetera. Uh, to me, it's a wonderful world out there. Uh, cause kids are coming up looking up to me, wanting to do something like this, be the next Jim Cantori slash Mark Suddath. I'm like, wow, now you're really, you know, you're putting the pressure on me. I got to set a good example, but social media helps keep you in line if you, if you let it and I enjoy it. So thanks for having me. And I'd love to hear from some folks. Yeah, no problem. So folks go, go follow Mark, go uh, watch some of his cool footage on, on YouTube. And um, I'll be out in this winter storm too. It looks like. Yeah, and he's a great follow during uh, the tropic season, kind of keep up with, with what's going on. So, Mark, we appreciate it. I'm going to turn it over to James Spann. James was, James was – our uh, James Spann. James Wow, Byers, I got I had, promoted. I had James Spann on my mind yeah. there for just a second. Wow, that's a great Freudian slip. <laughs> to you, James. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'll be James Briarton for tonight. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming on. Scotty, thanks so much. We will have an update on that winter storm coming your way just in about uh, about 90 seconds or so. We wanted to take this opportunity to introduce you to yet another cool tool that we will be using to monitor this upcoming winter storm. It comes to us from our friends at WeatherStem. They're launching eight new remote weather observation and camera systems in South Carolina this week. We met up with them just yesterday in Rock Hill. That's some of the video you're looking at here. Their fleet of weather station and cameras produce data 24-7. It's free and available to the public. So you're going to be seeing it in the coming months right here on the Carolina Weather Group. We're very excited about that. They're going to have new observations coming online from places like Greenville, Columbia, and more. Uh, the units are being launched in partnership between WeatherStem, South Carolina Educational Television, and the University of Florida College of Journalism, WeatherStem being a company that got its start in Florida. Uh, so we're very happy uh, to see the uh, expansion of their system here to the Carolinas. Uh, they had a few units, and they're going to have eight more by the time the week is done. Like I mentioned, we're going to be using some of their data on air here on the Carolina Weather Group, and I want to show you what their webpage looks like. They've already got some of their new locations reporting. Here is a look at that Rock Hill station as it's online tonight. 36 degrees and clear visibility 10 miles which is fabulous and you can see that camera there on the south carolina educational television transmitter as well too pre uh, presenting us with an image tonight uh, also coming in 2019 we'll be sharing special educational segments right here on the carolina weather group made possible by some of the classroom educational material that is produced and presented by WeatherStem. So uh, we're welcoming some of their new units, guys, here to the Carolinas. Uh, you can find them on their website. And uh, one of the cool things that uh, they do all across the country where their units are is they take time-lapse videos uh, throughout the day. And so they've got a lot at football stadiums, by the way. So if you're a big football fan, you should check out to see uh, the next time there's a game happening, if there's a WeatherStem location on that stadium to get some real-time data coming in. All right, guys, let's bring back in our panel 
panel now. We want to talk about this pending winter storm, and uh, we have some new data coming in and uh, want to get your thoughts on it. want to also invite all the folks who are watching live tonight on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope to ask their questions. Uh, and I, what I want to let folks know is we're going to try to get to as much of this as possible, but we are still a few days out, which means that the confidence on this forecast, although it is coming together, is not 100% there yet. And we are coming into this with this thought. You're not going to be happy with us if we don't show you snowfall accumulation forecast tonight. But you're also not going to be happy with us if we show you snowfall accumulation forecast tonight. And they change and they're really off. Because we are looking at model data this evening and the spread is all over the place. And it all goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. We know we're getting the precipitation. We know we're getting a lot of that cold air. But we don't know just how much of that cold air and how far south it's going to come. So we know that places in the higher elevations in western North Carolina are in for a snowstorm. The big question, it's always the big question if you've lived anywhere in western North Carolina or upstate South Carolina for any period of time is what is going to happen along the Interstate 85 corridor because that always seems to be the meeting place of the cold air and the warm air. Let's start with Chris Jackson. He is in Columbia, South Carolina, so a little bit further south of that Interstate 85 corridor, but I want to get his thoughts, and then, of course, we'll bring back in Scotty Powell because he's in the mountains along Interstate 40, and they're going to have a much different scenario. Chris, I know you are trying to figure out exactly what this snow uh, is going to do because it's going to uh, play a big factor in what type of precipitation you see across the Midlands. Uh, absolutely, Jane. So, you know, looking at it right now, the the, the latest, I guess, I, that I can give everyone that feels pretty confident is, you know, for, for the, the Midlands of South Carolina, really along the I-20 corridor and Point South, it's going to be it's going to be an all rain event. It's just going to be too warm. And, uh, you know, going north from Columbia up 26 toward the Greenville-Spartanburg area uh, to around the, the 385-26 split, Lawrence County, you know, draw a line back over to Chester. Actually, I'll uh, share my screen here. I actually got this pulled up. And, uh, you know, this is something we put out earlier. Uh, you know, I've got this this area highlighted yellow for an high impact winter event possible. You know, it's just going to depend on the exact track of the low pressure and also the uh, the strength of the high, the, the high pressure in New England. You know, how much cold air is it able to get down to the surface and, and throughout the entire column? And, and that's just stuff that's unknown right now. And until we know it, uh, you know, some of the impacts, especially across the Midlands in the the southern part of the South Carolina upstate, it's just really unknown. But, uh, you know, going forward into the upstate, I-85, Greenville, Spartanburg, and north of Anderson, I think they're for a pretty significant uh, winter storm. You know, I think they're going to get a mixed bag, some snow, some ice, uh, sleet, probably a little bit of rain on top of that in the mix somewhere. But uh, the biggest thing is if, you, if you're in the upstate, especially above I-85, you should be preparing for, you know, significant winter storm uh, and uh, you know that's as far as I can say for the Midlands and the upstate of South Carolina and uh, kick it over to Scotty yeah thank you for that Chris um, a much different story here in western North Carolina I I can work graphics or if I can ask you guys to pull up a few graphics um, Chris the one that we kind of broke down the snow sleet wintry mix I think James had that also uh, James, if we could break down the different precipitation types, because I want to kind of talk about both of those um, here in this update. Uh, it, it's, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, this has the potential to be a very significant historic winter weather event, especially in western North Carolina. If you live in the mountains, the foothills, and even along the Interstate 40 corridor, and I'm talking about 
locations like Hickory, Statesville, up into Taylorsville, Lenore, Morganton, Marion, places like that, we are going to be right on this line of the what we call the warm nose. And so um, Chris has got up uh, the, the first graphic that I was wanting to talk about. Right now, it looks like if you are in places in the North Carolina mountains, obviously, but if you're in McDowell County, Burke County, up into Caldwell, Alexander, Wilkes, even Catawba County, it looks like we're going to stay snow sleet. Now, the more sleet that we get, the, the lower accumulation snow mount we're going to get. And the reason that is, is anytime you get sleet, it kind of kills your, your snowfall forecast. Ideally, I think we all want snow because snow is going to be more manageable. But if we get sleet and definitely if we get some freezing rain, it's going to cause a lot of disruption, not only on the roads, but also with trees and power lines. So that is the first concern is where does this snow, sleet, freezing rain line set up? The next graphic I want to show you, James, if we could go to the next one. There it is. Perfect. Uh, and this is this is what makes our forecast so difficult. James was talking about the Interstate 85 corridor. Well, Mother Nature has no idea that Interstate 85 is there. It's, it's a landmark, just like Interstate 40 is a landmark for us. Um, it, it's just kind of, you know, where we like to, to reference things. We know at the surface we have instruments like the weather storm piece that we just did. We have temperature readings that we can place throughout the area that we know what the temperature is at the surface. The hardest thing is what's the temperature above us? What's the temperature two, three, four, five thousand feet above our heads? And that's going to determine what type of winter precipitation we get. If that entire column of air is below freezing, we're going to get all snow. Right now, I'm pretty confident to say the mountains are probably going to get all snow. And I'm almost confident enough to say places like McDowell, Burke, Caldwell, Alexander and Wilkes County are going to see all snow. I'm worried about this this warm nose is what we call. And that's where the sleet, that's where you saw that little orange, that orange sector of the of air. Wherever that warm nose sets up, that's not that's going to create just difficulties. And that's why we're not comfortable enough to give you a, a snowfall accumulation map yet, because it all depends on this track of the low pressure. If the track of the low pressure is closer to Jared, let's say in Charleston, that's going to allow the warmer air to be more into places like Charlotte, Lincolnton, Hickory, um, places like that. Great graphic that we got up. But if we can get that track just off the coast, let's say 20, 50 miles off the coast of the Carolinas, that allows that cold air to be dragged further in. And that's going to mean you get, might see more snow in places like Charlotte, uh, Gastonia, Monroe, Concord, down even into Spartanburg and Greenville, South Carolina. So we know that we're going to get a storm system. We know we're going to get some sort of wintry precipitation. We, <clears throat> we know we're going to have enough that's going to accumulate. We just don't know how much of that accumulation. And that won't be determined until at least tomorrow once we can get into some of the short-term models. I think the NAM is finally starting to, to get in on the forecast. So tomorrow we'll be have a better idea of this exact storm track. If you want snow, you want the storm track to be off the coast. If you want ice, and I don't know why you would want ice, but if you want ice, you would want it to be a little bit closer, hogging the coastline. Uh, if you want a rain event, which it looks like it may be the least likely, you would want that low pressure to actually track inland of the Carolinas. Now, one thing that we haven't really discussed, and Jared and Chris and James, I'd love to bring you in on this. Mm -hmm. We've seen these crazy amount of snowfall totals being predicted in North Carolina and even the upstate. The one caveat in this system that – 
I know we haven't really talked about, but it seems to happen on occasion, very rare occasion. So why I want to mention it up is if we get any convection along the Gulf Coast, coastal Florida, coastal Mississippi, Alabama, that could rob some of the moisture transport into our area and where we could see less wintry precipitation than, than what's expected. So I throw that question out to you guys. That That is the only fly in the ointment that I see that could really – kill our chances of seeing the these historic snowfall numbers oh definitely it happened this past weekend with uh, you know the severe setup across south carolina uh, you know got, going back it, just the moisture became so limited in the afternoon that you weren't able to get any convection basically north of savannah uh, you know i watched four storms come right to me at the savannah river and they just they, they lost everything the time they got to the river and, and you know with that with that drier air loft so that's definitely something to watch Scotty, one of the things I want to piggyback off of what you were just talking about is kind of that model data, uh, because that is the number one thing right now that we are waiting for at this hour. You mentioned the NAM, which is the North American model. So what I want to explain to folks, and I'm going to have some visuals here in a second, is what that means. Now, as, as forecasters and meteorologists, we don't just take what the computer says and stick it back out, and that's our forecast. We're going to interpolate that data. But it is nice to have this visualization, not only for our own understanding, Understanding of how the atmospheric tug of war is going to play out, but also to show you at home. Um, this is essentially that future cast you see on TV, but it comes in several different flavors. There's the NAM, there's the GFS, there's a European one, and Scotty even mentioned that we're waiting for some of the more short term. Um, and so as we get closer to the weekend, we get these other models that only go out in a few hours as opposed to a few days. And so we get more and more um, opinions, if you will, on what the situation is going to look like, because the key difference between these different models is they all kind of weigh things a little bit differently. They have different priorities, just like people would have different personalities. And I just want to show you what exactly that looks like. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and pop up the uh, College of DuPage website, which has some of those models on it. I'm starting with the North American model. There is a run coming in right now, and it only shows me, oh, I don't know, about six hours out. That's not helpful. So I'm going to go back to their data from earlier today. And what Scotty was talking about when he says we're waiting on more data, I can go ahead and I can play this and we're jumping ahead and, you know, about three hour intervals or so. And I, you can't see what I'm sliding. It's off the edge of the screen. But if I slide this all the way out, this is the very last frame that the North American NAM model has right now, which is late Saturday, which is like the most climactic place to stop in this forecast because it's just as the system is rolling into the Carolinas. Green is rain, blue is snow, purple is ice, and then that sleet is pink. So let me just show you, for point of comparison, a lot of the uh, projections you've seen here in the Carolina Weather Group and on television this week in terms of quote-unquote future casts have been the GFS global model. And so as you can see, I can scroll through this one, and I can make it through the actual event. And we can talk about what we're seeing here, because this is not set in stone yet. But you can see I can make my way all the way through the event and into the start of next week. So right now, we we have essentially two models that show us the weekend. 
It is this GFS model and the European model, and I'm only allowed to show you the GFS one because I'm not licensed to show you the Euro one. However, we will have, before daybreak, more data coming in from that NAM model, so we anxiously await that perspective. And then as we head into about the Friday time frame, we'll start getting these short-term, high-definition runs coming in from models called HRRR, for those of you keeping score at home. So that was a mouthful just to give you a visualization, uh, but I think what the guys uh, and I have been trying to convey is we're getting a sense of confidence on the forecast, but we're not exactly sure yet just how far south this cold air is going to come. And having lived in Charlotte now four or five years, I know this is the thing that can really bite you with the snow forecast because in a county like Mecklenburg, at Lake Norman, you could have a foot of snow, and at Ballantyne along the South Carolina border, you could have nothing. James, let me... um... Please. Can I, can I ask you to go back to the yeah. GFS and the NAM? And I want to show you why why do you, getting more Do you more want me data. to go to the wall? Yeah, let's go to the wall. Or, um, I want to show you the <laughs> – okay. I want you to go to the very last NAM frame that we had from the previous run, and then I want you to go to where the GFS says it's going to start. And okay. this is why this short-term data is more useful. Jared, you and Chris, please jump in if you want. But I want to show you this, this new NAM run, which – it's coming in. The data is suggesting that we actually, the NAM is actually painting a little bit of a colder picture for this precipitation. I want to show you why we noticed this. So, so nerd talk. Yeah. Which NAM run did you want on the screen right um, now? Not the current, not the one that's going out right now. The previous, I okay, guess. Okay, previous one. And you want me to take it to the moment yeah. it stops, right? Yeah, I go to the very last frame. Okay, so that's here's the very last hours frame. Out. So here's 84 hours out. If you will look, if you look into North Georgia, you start to see that ice, snow, sleep mixture. Now, if you go to the GFS at the same time frame. Sure. Okay. Stand by. So this is, by the way, when we say 84 hours out, that is as uh, Saturday turns into Sunday. All right. So we, Making my so way as we there. go to the GFS right, right here. You can see that cold air on the GFS is not into northern Georgia. So that, to me, says the NAM is depicting that this cold air damming, the CAD that we talk about, the Carolina Wedge, there's so many words for it, but the high pressure to our northeast is stronger on the NAM than it is showing on the GFS. Now, the NAM is taking that short-range model data. It's kind of like hitting a football off. The GFS and the European are really good for long to moderate range forecasting. But once we get into the short term, we also look at the NAM because it's able to digest the data that's being fed into it a little bit better. And that's telling me that we may have a little bit of a colder scenario taking place. So it's going to be interesting to see the previous runs, the next few runs that come out, the GFS, on if that high pressure to our northeast is getting stronger and stronger like the NAM has depicted with the last run. And if that happens, Chris, that could actually bring some colder temperatures more into your part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. This guy's, you know, looking at the, uh, looking at the 18Z NAM versus the uh, 18Z GFS, uh, you, get, you get a 1026 uh, ice of our line going right across South Carolina and the NAM's got it at 1032, just about in the same spot. So that's a six millibar difference. And that's showing a stronger, just like you said, stronger high pressure, more cold air getting shoved in here from the northeast, uh, you know, making that wedge a little bit stronger. So that's definitely something to look at. And also you want to look at the track of the load and see if, the, you know, that if that caused the track of the load to go a little further south. You know, something I'm really anxious to see is once this load you know, crosses the Florida panhandle, 
does it, you know, ride the coasters? Does it try to follow the Gulf Stream? And I, I really think it's going to stay a little further offshore and try to ride that warmer water. But, uh, and and Jared, Jared, this is the media of meteorology. This is what, this is how we nerd out. We we look at all this stuff, and this is how model data is good. But this is how we determine that forecast. You, as of, of all people, in the, living in the Charleston area. Those storms are a little bit more attracted to the warmer waters mm -hmm. out off just off the coast. Yes, absolutely, they are. And, and you know, something else to talk about with the NAM real quick. And 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 we've been talking about this in, internally in our chat, and we've been talking about this. Um, we're sitting in a North Carolina forecasters chat on, on on Facebook, which is great. And something about the NAM, and something that we learned last year from the NAM is that it does a it 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 did a very good job, a surprisingly good job with our snow issue last year. It did. It, it did a very good. It, it was like, oh no, it, it, it's out. It's out of whack. You know, it's it's the, the Nam's drunk. Go home. No, it wasn't. No, it was actually. It was actually doing okay. It did a pretty good job of illustrating how that event would go. And as we get closer and closer to the event, we're then going to be able to even see it in even higher resolution, and that's going to help us fine tune those uh, snowfall totals. It's going to help us fine tune that rain snow line. Rain, snow, ice, possibly, hopefully not, but it looks like that's certainly a possibility with any CAD situation. Um, but the NAM tends to perform very well with CAD, um, especially in the last couple years. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shapes up. I do agree that it's going to try and follow the uh, the warmer uh, the warmer waters on the Gulf Stream. I just, you know, I I I think that that high pressure, you know, again, the globals are probably going to underdo. They're probably going to underdo the strength of that high. I think the NAM has a, has a, a good idea on that. Of course, you know, um, you get in the 12 kilometer, and then we get into the three kilometer. I think that's when we're really going to be able to nail down what is what uh, with this thing. As for Charleston, just a cold rain. So, uh. yeah, you guys had your fun last January. We don't want to hear about. Yeah, it. <laughs> we, we had, we, this would be our third consecutive ruined weekend. So well, there's that. And let's let's talk a little bit about that, Jared and Chris yeah. and James. You know, this storm track that we've had over the past couple of months has been really, for lack of better terms, juicy. We've had a lot of precipitation to work with. QPF is a thing that we look at. And generally, it's a 10 to 1 ratio. For every tenth of an inch of rain, you theoretically you could get an inch of snow. And a lot of the QPF forecast for, for portions of North and Western North Carolina, upstate South Carolina is showing anywhere between two to three inches of QPF. And if that, if you take half of that, you're still looking at, you know, very significant snowfall totals in places that normally don't get it. And I just yeah, want to jump in real quick. And, and Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. I was just going to translate the nerd talk there. QPF being the total amount of moisture in the atmosphere. So folks know that when, when Scotty's yeah. saying that, <laughs> we have no shortage of moisture in the atmosphere. Chris, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no that's just what I was going to say. Uh, that, you know, I put something on Facebook last night about it. You know, if, if just half of some of these models verify, it's going to be it's going to be a significant storm. And something also to take into consideration is that you know, the temperature profiles during this storm, even up in Asheville, Morganton, Boone, uh, you know, the eastern side of the mountains, it's not going to be in the mid to low 20s throughout the entire atmosphere. You know, it's going to get, you know, somewhere around 28 to 30, 31 maybe even close to 32 as you get out of the mountains. And what that's going to lead to, that's going to lead to a lot bigger, a lot wetter snowflake. And, and with us not really in the heart of winter yet, uh, there's going to be some concerns for, uh, you know, tree damage, uh, power line stuff of that nature. What do you think about it, Scotty? 
It's great that you mentioned that, Chris, because we just had an ice storm a couple weeks ago, and that uh, created a lot of chaos in the foothills with downed trees and power lines. So that ice has already weakened some trees, and then you get, let's say, double-digit heavy snowfall accumulations on those trees and power lines. Uh, power outages are going to be a major concern uh, for the area. So definitely want to make those preparations uh, just in case your power was to go out. I mean, guys, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but the weather service, GSP, Greenville Spartanburg's forecast discussion, uh, talked about this could be a generational storm for some portions of Western North Carolina. So a generational storm means that it only happens once in a generation. Uh, I know that's kind of a, a sexy term that we've heard lately with 100-year floods or 500-year floods or 1,000-year floods, but you can kind of, you know, parallel that this could be one of those bigger storms. Uh, the blizzard of 93 is the benchmark for a lot of folks in, in, in the southeast with snowfall, and I mean, if the numbers continue to come out the way they are, we're going to rival those as well. I mean, it, we could rival in some areas the blizzard of 93. I'm not saying we're going to have a blizzard because the winds are not going to be anywhere like they were back in 1993, but the snowfall accumulation could rival some of those numbers that we saw in 93. Leconte uh, got like 60 and Mitchell got 40 during 93, I believe. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's definitely, um, definitely a, a big, a big concern here in the, in the Carolinas. And, um, you know, just something we're going to have to watch. And James, like you said, I know a lot of people are wanting those snowfall maps, but we just don't feel comfortable enough yet to, to produce those. That's that's the full transparency, to be honest with you at home. We were hoping that by tonight we were going to have them. And we understand that certain television outlets, at least here in the Charlotte area, are going to start to produce them tonight. We will let you know that the National Weather Service and their briefings to emergency managers did start to produce them. But there has been some back and forth because everyone's still trying to get a handle on exactly how this is going to play out. And I want to, again, give you that visualization here of what we're talking about. I'm just going to let this play through. Again, this is going to move in Saturday night, be with us through most of Sunday, and is going to stick around kind of a backdoor situation where we're getting a little bit kick on a way out of the door here on Monday. So do keep that in mind when we talk about the impacts to your lifestyle, your events, it's going to impact your work on Monday morning and school as well too. But what I want to show you is kind of how the, the cold air kind of goes back and forth. And the best way you can see that is below freezing, that's snow, that's blue. Above freezing is rain. But you can watch, if I just hold my arm right here, kind of over 85, you're going to see that the snow is going to sneak to the further south of my arm and then the rain's going to sneak further north because it's going to go back and forth. So no forecast at this point is frankly accurate enough to tell you exactly where that line's going to be hour by hour and I wouldn't be surprised as we get into this weekend if we come out of forecasting and come more into what we call now casting which is here's what's happening now here's what we expect over the course of the next few minutes it's what you see all the time during the summer when we're tracking thunderstorms is we're just going to be tracking in real time where that freezing line is what is above 32 what is below 32 and I think it could change several times throughout the location of uh, that you may be watching us from if you're in the Piedmont. But of course, let's stress, and Scotty mentioned it a minute ago, if you're in the foothills, the mountains, any of those higher elevation areas, there's really no doubt that you're in for a very impactful winter weather event, and you need to be preparing now because you could be inside for several days. So that's food, water, medicine, whatever you may need to keep yourself safe, sane, entertained, 
but warm. So if you depend on electricity for heat, there is a situation here where a large number of people could be without power for a few days. And so start making those preparations now. Scotty? Yeah, and before we, I know we're, we're closing in on, on 9.30 or so. Uh, two more points I want to make. Uh, we're going to see not only this snow happen on Saturday night into, into Sunday, but we're going to have an upper level low that passes through on Monday that will give us another potential to see more snow on Monday. So you could have a snow, ice, back to snow combination for, for some areas. Uh, so it is definitely going to be a, um, a long-duration event um, several day event and the temperatures afterwards. I don't know if you guys have, have looked at this because if you've probably been like me, you've been stuck on trying to figure out what's going to happen. But I did look a little bit, a, a little bit ago, the temperatures after this event, the highs where I live here in Western North Carolina in the foothills, the highest temperature in the next five days after Tuesday is 41. So this snow's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to melt. It's going to be sticking around for, for a while. So, uh, is definitely going to be a uh, definitely be a long duration event. And James, uh, one point that I'll bring up to you, and then I'll let you close us out. Sure. Uh, some folks are going to be upset. I, 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 for instance, Mecklenburg County always comes to my mind, and you've witnessed this before because if you live in northern Mecklenburg County, you could see eight ten inches of snow. If you live in southern Mecklenburg County, where James lives, you may only see an inch or two. And that's the there's going to be a big gradient somewhere that. One part of the county may get a lot of snow and the other part of the county may not get much at all. And, you, and you're right, and it's the policy in this county of Mecklenburg. Uh, so if you go to the Consolidated School System, CMS, if there is any situation that is going to close a school anywhere in the county for weather, they all close. And so we've had in winters past situations where those schools on the northern end of the county are closed because of ice on campus. Meanwhile, it could be 40, 50 degrees here on the south side because this county is so long from north to south that the school system is trying to control all of that. So that is something to keep in mind when you look ahead to Monday if you're a parent trying to make maybe some backup plans now, some contingency plans, something to keep in mind. It's not just what is the weather outside your door, but it's what is the weather outside in the entire area that we need to keep in mind. Matter of fact, Scotty, as I understand now, some of the school systems in the mountains closer up in your neck of the woods, have already made a call uh, uh, to what the school situation is going to be in the next few days. Yeah, um, for tonight or for Thursday, Avery and Watauga County schools are closed tomorrow because of the snow up there earlier today. Madison County and Yancey County will be operating on a three-hour delay on Thursday. I will say, and I shared this with, with the guys in our internal chat, um, the school system, the county that I live in, the, the superintendent from the school system sent out an email to employees and staff said, hey, there's a there's a winter storm coming and we want you to be prepared and prepare your students that there may be some school uh, days out of school next week. So you may want to send a little extra homework or something at home with them to uh, to keep them up to date with with the studies and stuff. So uh, our school system already preparing for what could be a few days out of school next week. Yeah, it's going to be hard to say. Uh, if, if we get as much snow as as what the models are saying, they, they could be out for a, a Pretty good your homework is here. to go outside safely and determine whether it's snow, sleet, freezing rain, and then report back. That's right. And by the way, that you say that, we're going to be doing some graphics throughout the next few days. And one of the graphics that we're going to be sharing is how to actually measure snowfall. You just don't go out and put a ruler in the yard and say, hey, this is how much snow has fallen. Uh, we're going to show you some graphics on how to accurately measure the snowfall. There's actually 
kind of a science to it, to how you do this. So uh, be looking for that because we will definitely want to see your your snowfall accumulations or ice accumulations uh, throughout this event. So James, enough of me blabbering. I'll let some other people talk and we'll kind of close out. for. Yeah, I do want to close out here in the next few minutes because I feel like we have all the latest data and I want folks at home to uh, be, I want to be respectful of their time and then we'll be back with updates. But I do want to bring in Jared Smith, Charleston, South Carolina, because Jared, you guys aren't going to get in on snow, but this storm system is still coming your way, going to be dumping a lot of rain. And I understand you guys are going to be looking at the flooding situation there. Yeah, you know, James, this gets interesting because we've had the second, you know, just based on the strength of just the last storm, which we had this past weekend, just on the base of it, uh, two inches or so on uh, December 2nd, where this is pretty much the second wettest start to December on record at the airport. So the wettest was 3.68 inches in 2009. So starting from the 1st to the 5th, we've had three dry days. So there's going to be a little bit of time for that to... Um, to get better. However, that being said, um, it's been pretty soggy. We had a very soggy end to November. We have a pretty soggy start to December. Um, soil is pretty is is pretty saturated. There's lots of still very full ditches and culverts um, in the area. So when we're looking at another one to two inches of rain um, from this storm, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, depending on timing and speed, still kind of up in the air on that. Um, so there's certainly the potential for some, you know, some flooding issues there. I've been looking at uh, some of the uh, probability, the, the uh, probabilistic guidance um, from the uh, ETSS model. This is the extratropical storm surge. And so we may also be dealing with something else, very not fun Sunday morning. And this is uh, getting back into tidal flooding. We've had some pretty epic tidal flooding events uh, recently. We had an eight foot tide. And while not really, well, if you look at the, the deterministic run, you'll see, you might see the eight foot tide here. I'm going to go probabilistic because that's the safest way to go about this. But we're certainly looking at uh, some pretty good hits on the potential for tidal flooding Sunday morning. Um, so that's something that we're going to have to watch. Um, Sunday morning with heavy rain moving by, if the track verifies, if, it, if that low does get a little closer to the coast than we might think, that we could have some higher rain rates moving through that's something that we're going to need to watch closely for charleston so just because we're not getting any snow or ice doesn't mean we're going to get out of this one scot-free scotty i'll take it uh jared thanks for that and we'll watch uh, this is very much of two state full region impacting event and so it's going to be bringing out all the resources of the carolina weather group we're going to be live on facebook twitter and youtube just like we are now we're going to be publishing extra updates on our podcast feed so if you're in a situation especially if you have no power you're operating on a limited bandwidth a limited cell phone battery maybe you want to go audio only check us out there on apple Podcasts, stitcher google play and other of your favorite podcasting platforms so we're going to wrap up here in a moment, but before we do, I'm going to bring in Chris Jackson one more time because he is our eyes on the ground. He hits the road. He heads out. He checks in in your communities, in your neighborhood to see what the weather situation's like. So as we look ahead to programming this weekend, Chris, what can we expect from uh, the South Carolina Chris Jackson snowmobile? Oh, gosh. It, it, you know, it just depends on where I think the access to the heaviest snow is going to set up. I've been talking to a few friends today and trying to throw out some some different locations, but uh, definitely probably going to end up in eastern North, or, you know, western North Carolina, east side of the mountain somewhere. You know, that you know, I guess that uh, that's up for debate right now. We'll see it. We'll see what happens over the next few days. But, uh, you know, Scotty, give me a sleeping bag. I'm coming to hang out. 
<laughs> Come on, I got an extra bedroom for you. That sounds good, man. But uh, yeah, so, somewhere in Western North Carolina, definitely go out there, shoot some video, and try to get it back to you guys. Uh, we will uh, look forward to that. We'll look forward on your South Carolina weather page and, of course, on the outlets of the Carolina Weather Group. I mean, Chris's point is exactly point on. He doesn't know where he's going yet because we're still waiting on getting that data in. We mentioned we have a new model run that's coming into our weather center right now. We are going to continue to publish updates as news warrants around the clock. But as you've seen in the last few days, if you follow us on Facebook and you follow us on YouTube, uh, we've been publishing updates every morning at 7 a.m. So we'll have another one tomorrow morning as well, too, that has some of that latest forecast model data in. We thank you for watching tonight on our doubleheader show. We know we've gone a little bit long. We had a lot of great information uh, not only about winter storms, but also thank Mark again for coming on to talk about HurricaneTrack.com. And we thank you at home for tuning in, trusting us to relay this very important forecast information to you. And we look forward to continuing to do that over the weekend. So on, a, uh, on behalf of everyone here, I'm James Briarton. We do hope you take time to prepare. We hope you enjoy this weekend weather. If you're rooting for some snow, well, hopefully it comes your way. Have a good night. We'll talk to you again real soon.